This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to Green Pulse, a podcast series by The Straits Times, hosted by environment correspondent Audrey Tan and climate change editor David Fogarty. In this episode, we look at the role of reinsurance and the importance it can play in tackling climate change and the opportunities and trends seen in Asia-Pacific. This episode is brought to you by Swiss Re. Hello, I'm Audrey Tan. And I'm David Fogarty. And in this episode, we have Mark Senkovich, Head of the Property and Casualty Underwriting Hub in Asia, Australia and New Zealand for Swiss Re. Welcome to the show, Mark. It's a great pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Mark, I think many of us would be familiar with insurance and how it works. But what exactly does reinsurance entail? Yeah, thanks, Audrey. It's um, not exactly a barbecue conversation for most people, reinsurance, but uh, we're an essential part of the risk-taking business uh, across the globe. So, Put simply, uh, reinsurers insure the insurance companies. Uh, So we're the insurers of the the insurers. So what we do is we take on diversified risks from across the globe, um, which allows us to actually optimise our capital. So that diversification means that that centralised capital can be used in a much more effective sort of fashion. Um, So we're often known for covering the largest catastrophes. But what we also do is, for example, large commercial and industrial risk. And also we're involved in, for instance, agricultural insurance, so crop insurance, um, engineering insurance, uh, liability insurance, as well as um, life and health, most importantly, um, which obviously has a climate uh, impact as well. So we're really at the forefront of climate change. Uh, catastrophe risk is is the most obvious one, but there's also you know risks to crop, uh, to life insurance, uh, people's lives, I should say, and and also liability. Um, it's important to know that we're substantial investors. We have big balance sheets which can be used uh, to invest in climate positive uh, in a climate positive fashion. And you know if we if we sort of think about how we might operate uh, in the Asian region, we would take the risks from, say, a small Indonesian insurer, uh, and that, that, that risk is then diversified up into a, a broad pool of risk in a global sense. So thanks, Mark. It does seem like reinsurance spans all sectors of society. But if you could just zoom in to the role of reinsurance in the context of global climate change, So right now, we know that banks and insurance companies have been blamed for not doing enough to cut off funding for fossil fuel plants. Um, But what is the role of reinsurance companies in, say, building an energy generation plant? Yeah, it's an important question. And and also as a a major part of the global capital risk pool, we have um, both a direct as well as an influential role when it comes to um, the polluting industries. So maybe if we look at it in sort of three points, there's our own commitments to climate change. So net zero for of our own operations by 2030. And um, by 2050, um, we're looking at net zero for our underwriting portfolio, as well as our asset management portfolio, um, which is, you know, several uh, hundreds billions of, of assets. Um, so that's the first piece. The second piece is our balance sheet. So on the liability side, what would I call the underwriting side? How do we influence there? And in that sense, um, we've put, for example, protocols in place around the insurance of coal, 
where we've removed, largely removed ourselves from insuring the coal industry, as well as um, oil and gas. So we have a relatively new uh, guideline in place in terms of how we will support uh, the oil and gas industry, particularly through this transition phase. So that is, I think, uh, you know, an important influencing factor overall. Uh, and then going back to the asset side of our balance sheet, I guess the, the third pillar, the important element there is that uh, we move our investments increasingly away from polluting industries, which we've done. And we, we um, since 2017, we've published our uh, ESG outcomes. Um, we, were, we were one of the first insurers to do so. And by 2050, the goal there, of course, is that we, we're net zero in terms of our asset portfolio. The final piece here is for us the influencing piece. So by joining organisations such as the Net Zero Insurance Alliance, where we were a founding member, we can push out the, I guess, management of these type of risks more broadly into the insurance community, uh, such that other insurers take up the charge, as it were, around uh, the insurance of um, CO2 polluting industries. And, and we're seeing um, that move ahead quite rapidly. European insurers already predominantly have uh, guidelines in place around the insurance of, um, of these sort of assets. And um, finally, um, and just very quickly, I mean, finance is an important con uh, contributor, to, of course, to these. And most finance companies and most banks won't take the risk unless there's insurers sitting behind that particular risk. So there is a, a, a quite a sort of um, backroom influencing factor that plays through in that sense as well. Earlier, we talked about reinsurance companies as a green infrastructure investor by only being willing to invest in, say, renewable energy projects. But what about the reinsurer's other role, which is to pay out when disaster strikes? Are those payouts rising? Yeah, uh, well, they are, David. And we, we have a number of studies um, around this. Clearly, what we're seeing is the rise of what we're calling um, secondary perils. Uh, so primary perils, uh, earthquakes and typhoons, that typically modelled. Um, secondary perils would include floods, bushfires, uh, severe con convective storms. And we're seeing absolutely an increase in the trend of those decade by decade up until last year, um, where we saw you know, a number of examples of floods across the region, China, and Malaysia, um, and and bushfires back as far as 2019 in Australia. So, you know, the examples around uh, the impact of climate change are significant. The other layer here, of course, is urbanisation. So we're seeing increasingly concentrated risks around cities, more and more people in the Asian region moving into those cities, and the impact of that coupled with climate change is seeing much more profound payouts in this area. And just sort of related to that then, is it possible to sort of kind of quantify how much climate change is contributing to these losses? It's, it's rather challenging to quantify it. And, and I know you speak to many climate scientists and, and they'll give you um, estimates, but um, clearly we're seeing the rise of flood events across Asia. And, you know, the, these were not appearing so much on the on the headlines back in the 80s and 90s, but increasingly over the last couple of decades, we've seen flood become a much more prominent part of the secondary peril environment to the extent that floods, for example, over the last decade would have contributed probably more than earthquakes in terms of losses. 
but maybe not quite as much as typhoons and cyclones, for example. Uh, so absolutely, we're seeing that trend um, continue. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now, back to Audrey Tan and David Fogarty's conversation with Mark Senkovich as they discuss the role of reinsurance, its importance in tackling climate change, and trends seen in Asia-Pacific. This episode is brought to you by Swiss Re. So Mark, before the break, we discussed the losses brought about by climate change. But is it all just doom and gloom? Are there opportunities as well in the green transition? Um, well, well, there's a lot of doom and gloom, isn't there? But we we do need to respond to that. And you know, whether we call it opportunity or response, I, I think it's important that the insurance industry, the reinsurance industry, um, and more broadly, all sectors uh, look for ways to to make certain that we mitigate. Right. So there's the engagement with government around mitigation and adaptation. We can think about um, both um, grey infrastructure, you know, your, your classic levies, um, but also nature-based solutions to create buffers. I think that's an important element. And for insurers and reinsurers, there's an opportunity in the insurance of those particular assets, including nature-based solutions. I think it's important to say there's also the insurance of uh, renewable energies, as we've seen the, you know, the uptake of that uh, increasingly. Swiss Re is one of the largest insurer, or reinsurers and insurers of um, offshore wind farms in China, for example. There's also the opportunity to create new products that look a little bit different from traditional insurance products. We call them parametric solutions. Uh, so they trigger based on a certain uh, climate or weather outcome, excess rainfall, too much or not enough sun, uh, excess wind or, or high wind speeds and so forth. And so they will pay out uh, immediately based on that trigger, which can be really quite supportive to local communities as well as um, munis municipal and, and um, national governments. What other trends are you seeing in the Asia-Pacific region? Yeah, so I think this is the important, really important element around um, the impact of climate change and something we need to think about much, much more. So last year, globally, there were about 306 large natural catastrophe events, of which 92 were in Asia. And that trend was probably a little bit down um, for last year, but certainly it's part of an increasing trend overall. So the insured losses from those natural catastrophes last year in Asia were about $8.3 billion. But that's against an economic loss of about 57 billion. And this, you know, 2021, I think, is just an example of, of how this plays out. So 8.3 billion in insurance losses, economic impact, you know, damage to the, the economy, both physical damage as well as financial damage of 57 billion, which says that 85% of economic losses are not insured. That's quite profound overall when, when you think about it. By comparison, in advanced economies, we're seeing um, that uh, about 66% are not insured. So one third insured against about 15% insured in Asia. Um, that's, I think, really important. And the, that, that protection gap, I think, needs to be narrowed to make certain that we build resilience in societies more, more broadly. So somehow we need to, to um, make certain that there is a greater uptake of risk transfer when it comes to climate change. Closer to home, though, uh, we think about the floods in China. 
last year. And this is just another example of how this this uh, protection gap plays out. So the floods uh, had an economic cost of about 23 billion, um, of which only 2.3 billion was insured. Rather small, really, in the in the scheme of things. Um, but this was the second natural, uh, second costliest natural disaster for China after the 2020 flood. So think about that: two record floods in in two years in a row. We also saw floods in um, Malaysia in December, and of course, closer to home for me, uh, I live in Sydney. Floods in Australia during February and March this year, and they, <laughs> in fact, continue on into. April right now. We're definitely seeing more flooding. We're, we're seeing larger uh, typhoons emerge in 2018 and 2019 in Japan. We saw a run of those typhoons. And then just coming back to this urbanization and concentration of risk, I think, you know, as that trend continues, the climate impact to societies increases and that economic gap or that protection gap starts to grow even more. So we know that Swiss Re has this annual report on natural catastrophes, which has a heavy focus on floods in the region. Why is there so much focus on floods this year? And why do we consider flood risk more complex compared to other perils? Uh, yeah, it's an important question, I think, David, because really one third of the world's population is affected by flood. And as I touched on earlier, we're seeing as the climate changes, more frequent flooding events. Um, so in 2021, we saw 50 severe floods uh, across the globe. And so floods, what we're observing, are outstripping GDP at quite a significant pace. And that's, I think, ne that needs the attention of, of um, governments because the flood protection gap remains significant. As I mentioned earlier, in China, the Hernan example with only 10% of the economic loss covered by insurance loss. So that's an example, but over the last decade, only 5% of uh, in, uh, severe flood losses are insured in the emerging markets, only 5%, uh, whereas one third are insured in advanced economies. So really, you know, that suggested that we needed to focus on flood as, as an issue in our Sigma report, um, which comes out annually and focuses on natural catastrophes. Um, but flood will continue to increase with climate change. We're fairly certain about that. Warmer atmosphere can hold more water. And uh, obviously, warmer oceans create more opportunities for cyclones and typh typhoons, which um, can also therefore carry much more water. And that for us is, is um, you know, the problem. So what's the solution? Well, our modeling around flood is progressing and progressing quite rapidly. We're putting a lot of uh, emphasis on it, but the challenge with um, modeling of flood is it comes from various sources. So you've got your um, pluvial or flash floods, you've got your fluvial or riverine floods, and you have storm surge, um, all of which can interact and impact at any one um, point in time. Uh, of course, urbanization doesn't help um, because you have this concentration of risk and many Asian cities are naturally built next to rivers. So that also um, is, is quite challenging. And then we see um, impacts of, um, you know, concrete, right? We, you call it soil sealing. So the, the soil can no longer absorb the moisture. It just runs off into directions that, you know, historically we may not have been sure of. So we see much more frequency, therefore, potential for flood events. We see the severity of those flood events increasing. But I guess the good news is that we have more sophisticated flood maps. 
We have new technologies emerging which utilise satellites and so forth to allow us to understand topography and the impact of flood much better and ultimately for the insurance industry and reinsurers, probabilistic flood models are improving, but it will take time. So that's that's why we've um, really focused on this as an issue to raise awareness, not just amongst insurers, but more broadly governments and, and communities. I guess for societies, the importance of insurance is so that they can ensure that when disaster strikes, they would be able to rebound back and recover more quickly. The importance of resilience of communities, not just in terms of their ability to rebuild, but also the protection of people. You know, the outbreak of mosquito-borne diseases as a result of um, flooding events, I think, is an important issue and one that obviously can impact insurers and reinsurers and communities more broadly in terms of the health impacts. So, well, I have to say that nicely wraps up our episode today on reinsurance and their importance to societies. Thanks very much for insights, Mark. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you to you both. You've been listening to Green Pulse, a podcast series by The Straits Times. This episode is brought to you by Swiss Re. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.